Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 105 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Uh, I am going to get right into it because we got a big group today. we got Bill Sudden from Zintegra on the uh, delivery services leadership side. Um, from a Citrix perspective, we've got both Jeremy um, Myers, who's fresh off the boat from Hawaii. You took a boat, right? So you got, that's uh, an airboat, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, Todd Smith, uh, who apparently didn't get to go to Hawaii. Nope. Not this time. Todd, have you ever, made you ever got to go to one of the uh, Circle of Excellence things? Nope. Not, uh, haven't had the opportunity to go to a Circle of Excellence. We did a 100% club a couple of years, uh, but uh, no, yeah. haven't, haven't gone on the big trip. Yeah, that's, uh, I, you, I'm sure you've more than earned it. I've known you for a long time. Uh, and then Monica Grismer is with us. Monica is our star of the show today. It was her team that put together the blog that we're going to cover, uh, which is about uh, the latest uh, questions and answers around the latest versions of Citrix Virtual App and Desktop and Citrix DAS. Monica, how's it going? Yep, going well. Thanks, Andy. Happy to be here. It's been a minute since I've been on the podcast. So excited to be chatting with you all today. Yeah, always happy to have you. It's probably my fault if I don't uh, get you invited enough. Um, but um, no worries. Even today, you're gracious enough to mm -hmm. jump on, even though we invited you last minute when we decided exactly which blog we we're going to use. Yeah, happy to be here. We're all about going with the flow. So the actual um, title is "What's New and Next with Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops Q and A." Um, and Monica, let's. Uh, I, I want to jump right in and ask you a question. So I'm a little behind on the times. So it talks about in the first paragraph, Citrix DAS and Citrix Virtual App and Desktops. Uh, going into this, I would have uh, alluded to Citrix Virtual App and Desktop and Citrix Virtual App and Desktop Service. And as we were prepping to get started here, we talked about Citrix now using the, the acronym DAS, mm -hmm. Desktop as a Service for all things service. Help us mm -hmm. understand what's what's happened there. Yeah, so late in Q1, so just, we're in May now, so a couple months ago, we announced that we are changing the name of Citrix Virtual Apps Desktop Service to Citrix DAS. So our on-premises product line name does not change. It's still Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop, still the same for those on-prem folks. But in the cloud, we're looking at the full scope of the virtualization product line as Citrix DAS. So that encompasses virtual apps and virtual apps and desktops. So that's just the new name, but the technology itself, you know, still works the same. We've got the hybrid deployments that you can do and all the great stuff that we'll talk about today that's new. But as far as the name change also came along with some packaging updates as well. So for anyone looking to make that move to the cloud, there's some great new things that you may be surprised that you get now in the cloud that's included in these new DAS packages. So it is a change. I know we do love a name change here in Citrix land, but excited about the direction that we're going. For me, it's slightly confusing because desktop as a service means you host and maybe even manage somebody's desktop for them. In this case, it's the hosted desktop option, or it's also the brokering and management platform option. So DAS now includes PaaS as well in Citrix world. And Todd, am I articulating that correctly? Yeah, for the most part, um, it, it's bringing in kind of the industry standard wording and then being able to expand it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Andy, there's a so Andy, just to tag along, there's a uh, there's a report Gartner did recently where I don't know that this has ever been defined by the industry before, but what's the difference between VDI versus DAS versus I mean, there's like four different definitions that Gartner's put out, and so when I look at that, you know, there's a column, and the way this thing is set up is a column around, you know, what what do you get, what do you not get with PaaS versus full VDI, the whole nine yards. And it feels like CVAD, the on-prem product, is kind of considered VDI, right? So yeah. it encompasses you owning the entire stack is essentially what it is. And as you move into some of the different DAS definitions, really what that turns into is how much of that is being hosted and managed by some kind of provider, whether it's the entire stack or some of the stack. And I think what you'll find is there's certain Citrix offerings that line up with each of those different definitions. And so that's, that's brand new as of maybe 2022. I want to say maybe late 2021. So mm -hmm. that's new for the industry. 
Yeah, I think I think for me, what's happened here is <clears throat> folks like me and folks like Citrix and Bill, we've been saying, oh, no, no, that's virtual app and desktop as a service. That's this thing over here. And over here is desktop as a service. Meanwhile, the industry has kind of lumped a bunch of things together. And now Gartner's recognizing that lumping it together and just calling it all DAS. So while I still want to call things presentation server, because that's what it does, mm-hmm. it's not what the industry calls it. So stop fighting it and just do what the industry calls it. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yep. Well, we've got uh, we got a lot to cover in, and um, we'll probably carve this one up into at least two episodes. Uh, Monica, the bullets you guys caught out here is the LTSR, um, long-term service release, the uh, unified communications and meetings, installation and migration, user experience, security authentication, public clouds, and then miscellaneous. So yes. if, if you're up for it, maybe you join us two weeks, three weeks in a row, but at least two, probably. Uh, let's jump into the uh, long-term so, service release. Andy, and if you don't mind, if I, I set the stage really quick, sorry to jump over you, sure. but wanted to kind of give some background for anyone that isn't kind of familiar where we come from. Obviously, quarterly, we have a new on-premises release, and that prompts a what's new blog from my team in product marketing. This one specifically is actually a follow-up to the what's new and next webinar that Alan Fermansky and I put together at the end of last quarter. So that's where these questions came from, right? We're not just kind of pulling them in from our brains, from Citrix brains. These came from actual individuals on that call. And so we... Alan and I diligently work to answer every single one of these questions. That's why this blog is so comprehensive, let's say, and why we'll need to break it up. But that's where these spawn from. So just kind of wanted to set the stage for all of us. We have had these new releases come out, but this is coming off the tails of questions we got from our customers and from the industry. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you did that because that makes it very relevant and helps people to understand where these conversations are coming from. You know, real, real people asking real questions, which, you know, no such thing as a dumb question applies here. And more than likely, people listening have the same questions. They just don't have a vehicle to to get them answered the way you did during the webinar. So you kind of um, you guys have kind of lumped them together in different categories there, right? And the first one being the uh, long-term service release. So let's let's start with the first one. It says, what's the target date for Citrix virtual app and desktop LTSR 2203 uh, cumulative update, which is acronym CU? Yeah. So we kind of just went into it with the fact that level setting what a cumulative update is, right? So for the LTSR, you have that extended support and life cycle. That's why customers love it for the predictability of it. Maybe you're in a highly regulated environment. And then the cumulative updates come around to give those hot fixes, give those security fixes and patches that you may need along the way. So yeah, um, we're, we're targeting a CU usually a few months after the initial release to, you know, work out any kinks that may have appeared, any feedback that we're getting. So we don't have a specific date, but um, it, it should be coming soon. That's The first one usually comes pretty soon after the long-term service release comes out. So, okay. Oh, that makes sense. Now I understand the question better. So you had the long-term service release on uh, in March of this year, which we did a yep. podcast on. And now you're talking about the first, what we old guys would have called a service pack, but now called a cumulative update to fix features, probably not add features, but fix and address any possible issues. Yep. Great. Hey, um, and for the rest of the group here, we've got a lot, got a lot of people on. Just just chime in when you have something of relevance you want to add to the particular topic and answer, question and answer. Hey, what, speaking of Monica, what is the what's the typical cadence on the CUs, anyways? Um, so, for instance, like on the 1912 LTSR, we're up to CU five. So I'm mm-hmm. doing the math there. That's about every six months we'll see a CU. Is that typically the cadence? Yep, I'd okay. say it's it's typically the cadence, right? Because you're working with the CUs and also the new on-premises current releases. So yeah, I'd say about six months, but usually the first one out of the gate is pretty close to the initial release because you've got a lot of people at once Mm -hmm. jumping in and testing. So I'd say about six months, but it kind of depends on what all we need to wrap into them. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I should probably had cleared up something I said a minute ago, because it's a LTSR, you're not adding any new features. You're just fixing any potential issues, right? Exactly. Yes. Thank you for reiterating that. Because the LTSR, 
you know, by nature is baked with all of the relevant current releases from the latest LTSR to this one. So from 1912, as Jeremy just mentioned, to 2203, all of those features were wrapped in. So no, we're not tacking on any new features, but there's always updates, always patches that need to happen. So that's the purpose of a CU. Okay. So the next question is, are there specific Citrix DAS uh, releases that align with the LTSR, uh, This, I guess this 2203 LTSR? Yeah, so for this one, we were kind of level setting. I think, Andy, to your point, the DAS naming is so new. The concept is new. And so sometimes people get confused about mixing cloud, mixing on-prem. And I'm sure everyone on this call can attest to hybrid deployments. So this one is just level setting. Citrix DAS doesn't have specific releases, right? We have 2203 on-prem. We had 1912 on-prem, 2201. We don't have numbers like that in the cloud because it has those continuous rollouts. So just saying that you can have, you can leverage the cloud and on-prem together, especially a lot of people. I don't know if um, Todd, Jeremy, any of you see a lot of customers leveraging the LTSR VDA with cloud. I would, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty mm -hmm. common. Would you agree? It is. It is. Yeah. So we were saying in this answer too that you can leverage that common deployment and leverage the 2203 LTSR VDA for its life cycle, mm. but you don't get the extended life cycle benefits if you mix them together. But it's it's still good to use them together for a number of reasons, but that's that's kind of what this is mentioning. There's not a specific cloud number release, but you they do play nicely. So if you're on... Citrix DAS or what used to be Citrix Virtual App and Desktop as a Service, which is cloud hosted, you're on the latest or you're getting ready to be on the latest? Yep. Uh, next question is, how does hybrid rights licensing work in a totally isolated environment? So this one was a little bit interesting. Um, just by we also put throughout there what hybrid rights was, right? So this release reinstated the ability to provision to public cloud from on-premises. I don't know if Andy, if you talked about that at all on the on the call recently. Yeah, I'm sure we, no, probably not recently. This one's Got it. been around a while and not come up often lately. Yeah. So we just um, reinstated that ability in 2203 and explained what hybrid rights were. But the thing was, if you're operating in an isolated environment on premises, then you don't need hybrid rights. So it seems like this individual may have been confused. They may have heard about hybrid rights and then said, oh, I'm fully on-prem, do I need this? If you're not planning to provision to the public cloud, no, you don't. Pretty straightforward. So let me make sure I've gotten this straight. So if you have Citrix DAS, then you can provision to on-premises. But if you have Citrix Virtual App and Desktop, you can't provision into the cloud. That that logic still applies, right? No. So now I now with hybrid rights, if you have an on-premises deployment and hybrid rights and are making that transition to the cloud, you can provision public cloud workloads from on-premises, like from your on-premises control plane. So Andy, this is where I've seen this before, right? So do we have customers that have a um an on-premise environment with a leg up in the cloud. So for instance, they wanted to create a zone that sits in say Azure or AWS or something like that, right? Can I create a hosting connection yeah. you know, up to those clouds? Well, after I wanna say 1912, yeah. you could not, right? So if I was a customer that wanted to deploy that way, then I needed to stay on 1912 or else I was gonna lose that ability. Or, and this is probably more the case, customers who have just forklifted their entire installation into a cloud, right? So I've built, SQL, delivery controller, storefront, the whole nine yards, but I've just hosted those inside of AWS or Azure. So I've just forklifted my whole my whole stack. You got to stay on 1912 LTSR if you keep your on-premise or your perpetual license because you lose the ability to create a hosting connection, stand-up BDAs in that cloud environment. So what this does is if you transition those licenses to the cloud and you get a hybrid rights license, that hybrid rights license, you know, with 2203 LTSR will let you create that connection and host either A, throw a leg in the cloud or B, just forklift your whole installation and put it in the cloud. Um, now you can do that again, 
which is which is a big deal. But you do need to make that transition of your licenses to make that work. So the key is transition to the licenses. So Correct. subscription cloud hosted licenses, but you can tie it, you can tie on-premises controllers into public cloud again. Exactly. Exactly. Hey Bill, that's probably a hot one in your world. Any comments? It is. Uh, it was a pretty hot one back when it was removed. And I think we did bring this up briefly on one of our prior podcasts where uh we indicated that this was coming back. Um so it's good to see. I I I think there probably will be a little confusion initially. Uh, part of the reason we have these questions and answers around, you know, where where it applies to customers. But I think I've got a pretty good sense of it now. now the piece I don't understand is it, just only because I haven't cracked open a license file to go look at this is like, how does your license know that you're, well, let me, let me take a step back. So when you transition your licenses, you get a brand new license file from Citrix. So it's a, it's a license file that is a hybrid rights license file. You take this license file, you install it on your on-prem license server. And of course you have your DDCs and all that stuff. They're checking out licenses from that license server. So there's gotta be some new bits in the license file that tell it that, hey, this is a hybrid rights license that gives you the ability to stand up that hosting connection. So there's something different between a traditional perpetual license file in the hybrid rights license file that tells it, hey, you can provision hybrid and you can't with the the traditional license. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the I don't know what those bits look like. I haven't cracked it open, but there's some logic in the file that does that for you. All right. So next question says, are hybrid rights licenses mandatory for on-premises customers? I think we kind of answered that in the previous question as well. If you're an on-premises customer, then no, you don't need a hybrid rights hybrid rights license. So they're only required if and only if you are looking to provision those workloads to the public cloud. Got it. Yeah, we did a whole podcast on the change where you couldn't just use on-premises licenses and go to public cloud and, and why. Um, a year or so ago, mm-hmm. but let me, let me ask a question real quick, Monica. Would that all that would presumably also apply if you did a forklift like Jeremy mentioned? You would need a hybrid rights license if right. you did a forklift. Yes, I believe so. Yes, you would. You would. Yep. yep. All right. Uh, next question is: Is there an extra cost for hybrid rights for Citrix Virtual App and Desktops twenty two oh three? So the as Jeremy was saying, if you're doing a transition and trade up to the cloud, then hybrid rights are included in that. So, I mean, it would be included in the cost of your licensing, but if you need to renew hybrid rights licensing, then there is an additional cost associated with that. So they're kind of tied together. Okay. So that hybrid rights license is a term-based license that mm-hmm. matches with whatever your, your contract is. So for instance, let's just say you transitioned your licenses to the cloud and that was a three-year contract that you did, then that hybrid rights license is good for three years. But at the end of that term, if you want to continue, let's just say you haven't transitioned your management up to the cloud, then you'd want to renew that hybrid rights, you know, hybrid rights license because it is term-based. So it's going to expire. Yeah. Yeah. So, and honestly, Bill, that's something that we talk to customers about frequently because we don't want them to hit the end of that term and then have it expire on them because then right. it just stops working. Yeah. I mean, the reality of this is this is Citrix doing what they need to do from a business perspective, which is to mm-hmm. get people into subscription licenses managed in the cloud. At yeah. the same time, going back and saying, we know a lot of people aren't ready to forklift it all up there. Um, we're going to allow on this particular LTSR we're going to allow you to um, to do that connection, those hosting connections in the public cloud one more time so that, uh, you know, you're not trying to be forced into making this happen now if you're not ready. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, can you leverage Windows Server 2012 and older uh, VDA in a Citrix virtual app and desktop 20, 2203 environment? Yep. So... This question, I think, kind of spawned a broader conversation on what VDAs are compatible within the LTSR. So I did a blog a few months back that actually has a list of which LTSR supports which um, server VDAs. And so the answer to this is yes, you can leverage server 2012 VDA with the virtual apps and desktops 2203 LTSR. 
But when you mix and match VDAs like that, you're not eligible for the full benefits of the LTSR. So to reiterate, the 2203 LTSR and all of them have five years of initial support, and then you can tack on an additional five years of extended support. But when you mix and match VDAs like that, you don't get, you only get the life cycle of the, the one that was released first. So the, the 2012 um, VDA, you would get that life cycle. But yeah, that's just, you can mix and match them, but you have to be mindful of the versions that you're on to get the full benefits. Yeah. So we get this a lot, Andy. Um, not not just for LTSR, but even in the cloud, it's a question of what's supported and what will work, especially as we have customers who are on, honestly, 2008 R2 still. So we, there's plenty of customers doing that, right? Uh, and 2012 R2 as well. But, you know, what VDA will work versus what is supported. And they're two different things, right? So the older VDAs will work. Um, they just won't be supported. And, you know, to Monica's point, especially when it relates to LTSR, you want that VDA to be on a supported LTSR version or else, you know, I'm assuming those workloads just won't be supported. And I think we want to add a third part into that conversation, Jeremy, and that's the <clears throat> what will work and then how well it will work, right? So there's some features and functionality that are in newer versions that may not, they're not always backwards compatible. Just like in hardware, right? You're seeing, you're seeing that uh, older thin clients may not be great at running teams. Yeah. Yeah. So Todd, you just added a new layer to it, right? So there's what will work, what will work, but be missing features. And then as Jeremy pointed out, there's the what is supported, which ultimately should trump all that. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times we know it, it doesn't and customers still try it. Well, Bill will tell you, you still got customers running 4.5 from back in the day. And, you know, that's hard to get off of. So, yeah, we get it. Oh yeah, but they'll do it. Just the the business requirements. Sometimes it's hard to get off the app. Is really what it boils down to. Well, and this really just goes into the mm -hmm. idea that this this is all moving forward, and it's a full time job of a team of people. And things mm -hmm. like DAS or Citrix PaaS, which you know the 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 idea that somebody else is at least managing the control plane and that evolution, and you're just trying to keep up with where that will uh, you know support back to. Uh, at least a big chunk of that's off your plate. Let me, I want to clear one thing up in my mind on this section, on this question in particular. So like for 2203, the oldest operate, supported operating system is 2016 for the VDA. Are you saying that, I think what you're saying is if I go back to a CR a couple of months or a couple of quarters before and I deploy 2012 on a supported, with a VDA that supported 2012, it's only going to be supported for the life of that VDA? Is that what I'm hearing or am I missing, mixing this up? I believe so, if I was tracking you correctly. Okay. So, you know, if you went back to, I don't know, 20, uh, 2112, if that supported 2012, I don't remember if it did. But if you went back to that, you would be supported for as long as that was supported by Citrix. Or if the OS went out of support by Microsoft, it would expire at that time. Yes. We get that question a lot. I want to run... 2012 on my VDA, is it supported? Maybe it's an older VDA. And I'm like, well, if 2012 or 2008, that's a better example. I want to run 2008. Well, it's supported on this VDA that's less than a year old. I'm like, but the operating system is no longer supported by Microsoft. So I don't think it's supported by Citrix. The VDA would be supported there. That's yeah. the that's the blessing and the curse of software, right? I mean, it uh, might work for a long time, but right. you know, unlike a car that eventually it just breaks and there's no more fixing it. Okay. Uh, next question is uh, workspace environment management, uh, WEM, W-E-M, 2203 considered an LTSR. So we have within the long-term service release criteria, we have different components that include baseline, compatible and excluded components. So, it, we've thrown around a lot of version numbers today, even in just the last question. We're talking 2008, 2012, 2203, and I know that's hard to track for sure. And again, Andy, to your point, that's kind of how software works, right? You got a bunch of numbers all, all playing together. So for this one specifically, we have workspace environment management that releases on its own cadence, and they put out a 2203 release. So Workspace environment management is a compatible component of the LTSR. 
meaning you can attach it to the LTSR and it plays nicely, but it doesn't get the full extended support and benefits. So 2203 is just a regular release for WEM, and then you can continue to update your WEM and, and work within the LTSR environment. But the 2203 WEM release itself is not a long-term service release. Okay. Well, what I love about this whole concept, one, there's a blog, we're doing a podcast on it. It's not like the old days where you're sifting through a 20-page uh, readme file and trying to figure it out. At least these days, people have multiple ways to consume what could and could not be supported. Um, is drag and drop between a Citrix session and a local endpoint supported in Citrix virtual app and desktop 22, 2203 LTSR? Seems like an odd question, but uh, maybe there's a yeah, I'm glad we level set at the beginning because these are truly an amalgamation of questions that people wanted to know, right? And you never know what your customers or organizations are dealing with. So drag and drop is supported in the 2203 LTSR because it was released in the 2003 current release. So anything from 1912 to now that didn't make it in 1912 is in the 2203 LTSR. So Andy, it's it, it it certainly sounds like a funny question because it's such a, a very specific feature. But to be fair, I think you've got customers who have gotten used to standardizing on LTSR. So when Monica's team puts out a new blog and it's like, hey, listen, there's the new current release that just came out, and this version of Citrix does drag and drop between you know sessions, like that's a big deal. And you've got folks who are like, I want some of these things, but I have to wait until the, the next LTSR until I get it, right? So, you know, this is this is something that came out. Let's do the math here. Uh, two years ago, because this is the mm -hmm. 2003 release that this yep, feature so was added. March so you got 20. a customer that, that may have waited two years for something like this that they finally get. So now it's like, well, is this one of the things that's included with this latest LTSR? Right. And the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, next question says, are there any steps I need to take to update from the Citrix Workspace app 2201? Uh, for Windows to the Workspace app for 2203. So the, to be clear, we're talking about the Citrix Workspace app, aka the receiver, aka program neighborhood, program neighborhood agent, uh, the thing that connects you via an app to your Citrix Workspace. So any specific steps to get from 2201 to 2203? So again, this may seem obvious, but you know, people are asking. So you can upgrade from any version of Citrix Workspace app, Citrix Receiver to the latest. I think it's also worth mentioning here that the Workspace app for Windows team put out a long-term service release of that client version. So that client actually has extended support as well. I believe it's 18 months, which is much longer than, you know, any other Workspace app or any other app for that matter on the market today. So that's helpful for organizations leveraging Windows devices and the LTSR if they kind of want to set their app and have it have it run in the background and have it work as well. But as far as upgrading, you can upgrade to the latest basically anytime. Okay. And guys, again, if you have additional comments, I'll just chime in. Um, can the uh, 2203 LTSR use legacy drive mappings with OneDrive? So I will also level set and say that this blog was co-authored by my great colleague, Alan Fermansky. So some of these I'm not as familiar with. And to be frank, it takes a village. So um, it says you can redirect folders into OneDrive and it shouldn't be an issue, but there's some contingency. So I don't know if anyone else on the call wants to, to lean into this one as well, but it was a team effort. So I'm just being... <laughs> Fourth right here. So, so I think the big gap here, Monica, is the the, the fact that the the container profile and the the support for the OneDrive uh, caching capability uh, that's that's currently on the roadmap, but it's uh, not available right now. Got it. So, Todd, help me. I'm I don't quite understand what this is. So, so it's more of being able to take all of the app data as one group, which, which the app data oftentimes includes multiple folders within it. Um, right now, there's a, there's a caching capability to say, I'm going to cache my entire 
app data folders, the number of them, right? So uh, the, the grouping of those folders, and that that is the issue right now. It it, it really is a folder by folder basis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I look at this, though, when I when I usually see the word container profile, I'm usually thinking FS Logics. Are we not talking about is that, is that a, a Citrix profile management term that I'm missing here? Because it says the container profile doesn't support OneDrive cache yet. I'm a little confused, just like Andy is. On yeah, it's more of a profile management piece of it than it is a OneDrive specific caching. So because it was because it was pretty typical, you would redirect documents, all those Windows folders, you would redirect anyways. I mean, yep. you wouldn't put those in the profile. You'd redirect those to a network share. And I guess in this case, if we redirected the, those folders in addition or app data in addition to those folders, there might be some issues doing app data redirection to OneDrive still. Okay. I think that's the issue is the app okay. folder um, when it comes to redirecting into OneDrive. Okay. And the idea there is you could then go somewhere else, log in with that same redirection happening, and that app data would follow. I think that's the theory. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how much of this is a limitation of profile management, Citrix profile management, or more just how the OneDrive cache works. Because I got to think that the way OneDrive moves that data between different star- storage repositories is probably not as efficient as the applications would require. Because think about what's in app data. That's different from like documents, right? I mean, this is this is a different kind of cache. So I think that's probably what it's alluding to. Yeah. And then you jump in. Are we talking app data local, app data roaming? Got to be roaming, right? Shouldn't that's be- a good point. It's got to be roaming, yeah. 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 All right. Next, uh, next question here. Um, my environment, we still use Windows Server 2008 R2 due to legacy apps. Those pesky apps that you know are most important, but yet can be a drain on us. Uh, with the new LTSR 22.03 release not supporting, does this mean that I cannot move on? I think we kind of addressed that, but let's hit it again. Yep, it's this um, again is addressing that you can move to the 22.03 LTSR, but you have to use an earlier VDA version for 2008 R2 compatibility. So there's more details on how to do that. And then we also said you might want to consider running Win7 with extended support and Azure as an alternative option. So there are ways to finesse it, but again, you know, the latest is greatest. So if you can move, but if you absolutely cannot, then you can usually make it work. It just might, we run into the support issue. We run into the features issue. Yeah. And the real answer, right, is you got to get a new app because if that app's holding you back that far, you got other problems, but Agreed. that's easier said than done. I get yep. that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, why is browser content redirection not part of the LTSR versions of Citrix Workspace app? Will it be included in the future? Browser content redirection not part of the LTSR version of Citrix Workspace app. That, is that true? Yes. So we, I remember having this conversation even when 1912 came out. So that was a big kind of sticking point when we were having these discussions about browser content redirection. So it relies on the Chromium embedded framework. And so it's not possible to give that extended support to the Chromium embedded framework because that updates so frequently. So it's kind of like we're talking about working with the Windows OSs and working with us, same thing with Chrome. Like if if that runs out of support, then we we can't patch in time with an extended lifecycle of a workspace app. So that's why it's excluded from the LTSR version of the workspace app because we have to do those regular updates. So the recommendation in that case would be um, 2203 LTSR for all of your components and then for the workstations or for the endpoints that need that functionality, you just have to run a CR version of workspace app? Yes, I believe so. Okay. And we'll, con- we'll continue with those. Yeah, the, the ones that need browser content redirection update more frequently. Yep. So to, be, so to be clear, BCR is not going away, generally speaking. It's just not no. a feature that will be, be a part of the LTSR. Got it. The LTSR workspace app. Yes, correct. Got it. Okay. So you would just uh, pick a non-LTSR workspace mm-hmm. app version. Bill, any thoughts on that one? That kind of caught me off guard. No, not really. I mean, we've we've done this um, 
with the workspace app for Linux a couple of times. And, um, you know, we just have to make sure we have the right version to get it to work. Uh, yeah. We've, we've dealt with this before. Yeah. Okay, cool. Did not know that. Yep. Uh, let's see. Okay. So moving on to a different uh, topic class, you know, category here. Uh, now talking about unified communications, uh, what Microsoft Teams optimizations features are in 2203 compared to 715? And, and I have to assume this has something to do with the idea that when, you, when you're using offloaded Teams or others, but Teams, all of a sudden some of the features that you thought would be there based on the native app are now missing. Monica, is that what this is really uh, asking about? It is, there, there's that point, and we'll get into that in a few questions lower down on feature parity between a local Teams instance and a virtual one. But this one was even, we, we kind of smiled at too, because we introduced Microsoft Teams optimization in the 1912 LTSR, I believe, and maybe before that, but as far as LTSRs go. And so for 7.15, Zenapps and Desktop 7.15 did not include Teams optimization. So this is a list of everything that you get now as compared to not having it at all. But yeah. there are, you're correct, some discrepancies between what you can do local versus what you can do virtual. And I think we get into that in a minute. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll come to that one. How is Microsoft Teams optimi optimization handled on Chrome OS? Is it done via Workspace app? And the answer to that is, yeah. So it, it requires a current version of the Workspace app on Chrome OS. And I can't remember when exactly we got support for Teams on Chrome, but I believe we've had it for a little while now. So this is new to me. I didn't realize that this had been done where you, I was under the impression that that was one thing that, for example, that Google really didn't want you to do because they wanted you in that browser experience locally, native. Um, I didn't realize that you guys could actually offload Teams in a Chrome OS session now. Yeah, I I'll need to double check when we, we inserted that, but I'm almost sure you can. I mean, you've been able to do it from web-based teams, but yeah, I'll need to double check on, on local teams, but I believe we inserted that in the Workspace app recently. And the reason that one's relevant for me, I've got a customer that they want to do it in teams, but they also want to do Zoom. And I don't know that got that it. exists and that maybe the sticking point. For Chrome OS? Chrome OS, yeah. Okay, I'll follow up with you on that one. Okay. Unless anybody else on the call has that on the top of their head. Um, I, I, I do not. Um, but to your point, Andy, I think there is the HTML5 mm -hmm. workspace app, and that's different from the Chrome OS workspace app. And in either case, um, it actually renders in the browser. It's just a little bit different, right? Because we've got more hooks into Chrome OS. And, and so that that's an important note because, again, it still works in the browser. Um, but it's just a little bit different, right? And so we've developed an app specifically for Chrome OS because of that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Are there any plans to bring HDMX optim HDMX HDX optimization media offload to go to meeting? Well, I, I've I've wondered a bunch of times through this whole pandemic. What if Citrix still had go to meeting? What would have happened during all this? Um, is that one of the target platforms? So I, I think we're looking to optimize as many unified communications tools as possible. As far as GoToMeeting at present, we recommend using browser content redirection to um, get it to work within your environment. But I know, as you said, Andy, I mean, unified communications became the moment during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're using one right now. So. I, I think it's definitely on our radar, but at the present to use browser content redirection for GoToMeeting specifically. So let me ask you this, Monica, right? So um, in the case of Teams optimization, you know, there are the bits, the code around optimizing Teams. Is, this is something that we created jointly with Microsoft, right? So we have Citrix engineering involved to create this Teams optimization. We work with Microsoft on it. So there's that piece. Some of the other ones, like, for instance, there is an optimization for Zoom. There's an optimization for, you know, several different, um, you know, platforms, but that's usually developed specifically by that platform. So for instance, there's a Zoom optimization, but Zoom basically created the piece for that, right? So there's still a piece that goes inside the VDA. There's a piece that goes on the endpoint, but, you know, that was developed solely by Zoom. And you know, we've got a lot of voice platforms because this runs with like Avaya, this runs with, 
you know, I'm just thinking through all the different things that have hit us to your point, Andy, in the last two years, you know, teams optimization is the one that has been jointly developed with Citrix, whereas most of the other ones have been developed by the vendor themselves. Does that make sense? Yes. And I, I think you're correct. Um, mm -hmm. Teams is, I would say, candidly, our probably our, our deepest integration for unified mm -hmm. communications. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I'll need to kind of check in on where we are. I know we are hearing more and more feedback about the Zoom optimization, mm -hmm. but I, I believe you're correct in the fact that it's more led by those organizations, those companies themselves, and then given to us rather than jointly developed. Because if you remember for Teams on Microsoft documentation for a while, the only way to use Teams in a virtual environment was through Citrix. That has since changed right. as time mm -hmm. went on. But I think it was a, that was an interesting moment in time where in docs, it was like, if you want to virtualize this, use Citrix. So I don't think I, you know, our relationship with Microsoft there obviously is very strong in that regard. But yeah, I'll, I'll have to keep following up. I'm, I'm curious about this space as well, because it's super important. I mean, my understanding is that the ability to leverage WebRTC is in the Citrix app, the workspace app. It's in, you know, the ability, the, the, the control plane, whichever one you're using, and it's up to those Vendors in this case go to meeting to plug into that and use it, right? And that how it works. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, does Microsoft Teams multi-window capability mean breakout rooms are now supported? Yep. So we're kind of getting in that section, Andy, that I was saying about some feature parodies that we're working on. So if you're a VDI participant, you can join a breakout room, but if you're in a VDI, I don't believe you can start a breakout room in Teams. And then not to jump ahead, but for blurred backgrounds as well, um, it's not currently supported, but we're waiting on necessary APIs. So, you know, it's just a symbiotic thing. Yeah. Okay. So it's coming potentially. Yep. Or coming. We're working yeah, on it. Yeah, it's one, it's one of the one of the features that are has been requested. And we do have a disclaimer at the bottom of this, and I'll I'll put on my legal hat here for a second, right? All of these questions are answered at the time of writing and at the time of talking too. So hopefully we can come back in a matter of months and be like, check, 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 we've got it all. But yeah. at this moment in time, this is a, a snapshot. Yeah. Well, and without a doubt, we can go on the record here saying that Citrix leads the way in these features and supported yep. these features and others are always chasing and trying to catch. Uh, let's see. I think you just talked about this, but uh, blurred backgrounds, that's something that's uh, coming or yep. being worked mm -hmm. on. Uh, what are current, uh, we are currently using LTSR, currently using uh, 7.15 LTSR Cumulative Update 7 and would like to upgrade to the new 2203 LTSR. Our HP servers do not have GPUs to so support Microsoft Teams, Zoom, WebEx, et cetera. Should we deploy hosted, shared, or VDI? So we put here that we recommend VDI for WebEx and Zoom based on the support statement from our partners. So hosted, shared desktops are supported if customers aren't delivering real-time communication apps. Um, Zoom, for example, doesn't support delivery as a published seamless app. So, yeah. so as the guy who started a company, because I got tired of hearing people think they had to go VDI all the time, you should definitely go VDI. It's it just that's the way the world's lined up. Uh, things like Nutanix and other cost effective uh, hyperconverged solutions has made it to where it wasn't quite the heavy lift it used to be. My recommendation, I'll hand it over to Bill. Just go VDI and you know don't fight the movement. Yeah, we run into this a lot, customers wanting to do this in hosted shared. And, and we, you know, to your point, Monica, if they're not doing real-time communication, then we, we can make it part of a published desktop. But most of the time, if they're going to do anything beyond that, which most people are doing, we'll we'll go VDI. And and the key there too is you don't know what's coming next. Don't box yourself in the, and I love, I love server desktops, grew up on it. But when the world zigs and you need to zig with it. It's mm -hmm. hard to do if you've got uh, multi-user server desktops in play. And unless you have a very uh, limited use case, VDI is probably going to be the answer for most groups within a company. And that's the key word, right? You look at it by group. Don't look at it as all in. But if you had to go all in, VDI would probably be the answer. Yep, I would agree. Yeah, and Andy, we've all we've all seen this with with customers, right? Where they have a specific use case 
that is for a subset of their users. You know, it's a camera that they need to have. It's a specific device that has a driver that only works on a Windows end client. Well, instead of trying to re, instead of trying to boil the ocean, let's just work on a gallon, right? Take those, that subset of users and build a solution for them specifically based on their specific needs. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we run into this a lot where, you know, where, where customers constantly think they have to do and build this one single instance across every single user. And we realize that there are some things, there are some limitations and some restrictions. You should look at it by group and try to group some groups together, but, you know, don't try to force a square peg into a round hole. Yep. I mean, there's situations where it still makes sense to give somebody a persistent, high-powered VDI desktop. Don't give it to everybody because then you wish you haven't. But if you have users that that's what they need, uh, give them that and back it up, make snapshots of it, uh, limit their admin access, if at all, uh, manage it with systems that make sense to manage it with. But it's it's not wrong. Andy, this might be a good topic for another podcast, honestly, because I think um, what you just described, and I bump into this all the time, is it becomes less shared desktops versus VDI. But we have customers who are going like straight desk, dedicated desktop for everyone versus like a pool desktop. And what does that look like? And how do you manage that? And so I think there's a good conversation to be had around, you know, that entire, it's okay to go VDI. <laughs> it's whatever VDI needs, mm-hmm. needs a need for to that. Be. Group. Mm-hmm. I ran into a customer last week spending $300,000 a month on Azure persistent desktops. They know it's wrong, but it's not totally wrong. They just need to pull it back to the users mm-hmm. that don't need that much power and that much access, that much resource, admin rights, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, guys, we got uh, we got 10 minutes, nine minutes left. Let's just hit one more, and then we'll come back next week um, and hit the rest or hit more of them. Uh, what is your optimization uh, with the 8x8 phone platform, specifically when it relates to I I didn't know what 8x8 was until a week ago. Uh, maybe that's another company got renamed. Maybe eight by eight is something that uh, has come out of come out of the uh, the, the uh, unified communications world. Uh, what is eight by eight, and where does Citrix stand with supporting it? So, this one's specific to iGel OS. So, we were saying that there is telephony optimization for iGel iGel OS devices and to use browser content redirection where needed. I will also say I'm not as familiar with eight by eight. So um, I don't know if Jeremy, Todd, Bill, you want to jump in there. Um, so I haven't heard of 8 by 8 I just looked them up for the first time. I mean, it looks slick, right? But I think probably the point here is, you know, we've got customers who are bringing anything voice video related into a Citrix environment. And I think there's a way to optimize it. What that looks like will depend on support from the vendor, you know, support from and what they're willing to support as well as just what's available within the product, right? So, you know, we've talked about browser content redirection. Um, there's some other pieces, some other policies that can be enabled um, specifically around voice, but, um, you know, I don't, I'm not familiar with 8x8 specifically. So, so, Jeremy, I've run into these guys a couple of times and, and mm-hmm. they are a Citrix Ready partner. They've got, mm-hmm. which means they have validated their solution against part of our product offerings, right? So you need to be very specific about what their what application or what system they're using, um, what versions of Citrix products are they using, and more importantly, what are some of those supported endpoints that they're connecting into, right? So we we've we talked about this earlier with versions of the endpoints and the models of endpoints need to be compatible with what the user is trying to do, right? So sometimes it's a USB redirection challenge. Sometimes it's a COM port redirection challenge as well, right? So we just need to make sure that when we're talking about compatibility that, the you know, we, we encourage customers and our partners to review uh, some of the compatibility documentation that's out there, or optimization uh, packages that are out there. And it could be a situation where these guys have invested the time and effort to leverage the WebRTC and other APIs that are out there to come up with a really solid solution that just works within Citrix. But it's not Citrix's responsibility to support them. It's their responsibility to support the Citrix world, which I pulled up a quick Citrix readiness. I saw them come across on Citrix readiness the other day uh, as a supported vendor and um, got my interest. And then here it is brought up again here on this um, this uh, blog that responds back to questions that happen in a webinar. So either they had somebody on the webinar on purpose to bring this up, or they um, some customers curious to understand what the support. Either way, good to know. 
So, so Andy, I just put in the chat, um, there is an integration. In fact, it's on the 8x8 website. I just put this in the chat. So if you want to pull it up and kind of stare at it, um, it looks like there's some software components you'll want to install inside that desktop. And you can actually validate um, that it's running VDI. So there is a, um, um, there's a spot within the client that will show you that too. You can see that it's optimized. Well, this just goes back to, and Monica made a reference to it a while ago, how important desktop virtualization is, desktop as a service, and unified communications. You know, unified communications became the way we go to work, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years ago now because of the pandemic. And you, it has to work within your virtual desktop world, specifically VDI, um, because it's part of our day-to-day as well. And companies like this are realizing that there's a future there for, for them. So at the very bottom of this article, Andy, by the way, it mentions that they're leveraging WebRTC. So they're leveraging that API and it's not using BCR. So that's how specific this document gets. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's on them to leverage it. And they are. Mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. definitely should Absolutely. be considered as a viable um, option. Cool. Well, and it also, you know, this whole conversation has kind of brought up the point that unified communications is becoming normal for a majority of our customers um, that are out there, right? I was just at a customer last week where they have removed every single desk phone out there with the exception of a couple of phone booth type of, uh, type of rooms that are set up. And also the reception desks still have phones, but the majority of the workspace desks, they no longer have phones. And think about that as you're moving forward, you know, when you're building out new office space, you always have to wire in a lot of extra ports. And one of those ports was always dedicated to the phone. If I can eliminate that, then all of a sudden I can reduce my wiring costs uh, considerably. I can also start saying, well, you can work from any hot desk because your computer or your endpoint is now your telephone. Right. Yeah. That's uh, been a byproduct too, right? The ability to go hot desk and plenty of people said it, the, the, the pandemic forced things to go, further, faster than they would have gone. And at the end of the day, we're all going to be benefit from it, that part of it. Well, guys, uh, we are out of time. Uh, Monica, thanks for joining. Uh, I assume you're okay with uh, next week and we'll do it again and can try to get through the rest of the, uh, the rest of the blog. And as always, guys, thanks for joining us and helping to add light to the topics that are being covered uh, as a group. Absolutely. For sure, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Happy right. to be here. We'll see Talk you to you guys next week. week. Yep. Sounds great. Thanks, guys.